A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called, Excuse Me Charles, I Mustache You to Let Me Through. That's not my show title, that was given to us by Jason Miller. Runners-up was Sacred Silence, Charles, this is James. Paul Young suggested no porridge at breakfast and not that Steve came in with Return of the Torpedo. I'm your host, Richard Spanners, ready, and I'm joined by Matt Trumpets, hopefully a still tired and groggy Matt Trumpets. Yeah, you know, I have not recovered at all from the 2 a.m. start to my day. However, I have to say I am excited because you've been completely wrong about almost everything in the WhatsApp chat, so there'll be plenty to do. See, this is what I love, Matt. These races where you have to get up early make you so grumpy, and I feed off that. I I feed off your misery. I love these flyaway races. They are a lot of fun. Uh, I, I do kind of enjoy being up late at night when the entire rest of the family is sound asleep. There was one more title suggestion, Matt, that you might have to help me with. I'm obviously far too young to get this. I assume it's some kind of song. It says, I saw the signs. I opened up my eyes and Lando flies. It means nothing I to me. I saw the signs. I opened up my eyes and Lando flies. Yeah, I do know that from the radio. But I bet you don't even know what radio is. You're so young. Nope. All DAB and podcasts for me. Matt Leclerc has been put in his box in the third round of the 2019 championship. In the 1000th race, we saw Ferrari stamp their mark uh, on the, the driver politics in a race that wasn't the thrill we had in Bahrain, but really intriguing. Tons and tons of talking points. Yeah, well, politically speaking, it was fascinating. Uh, We knew team orders would show up at a certain point. And what makes this particularly delicious is they were completely ineffective and useless team orders. (laughs) So it it really exposed the, uh, the... I don't know, the seams, as it were, like like the stuffing is showing through the couch cushions at this point. 
Lots to get through today. Mercedes make it three races out of three. Hamilton takes the title lead. Red Bull can fight on straights. Haas can't fight at all. And Ferrari put their young pup in the outdoor kennel. But first, let me tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by token Ferrari fan Nick Numbers Alexander, making his 13th Missed Apex podcast debut. And we're also joined by BBC presenter and producer Ellen Ellard. Ellen, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. Let's let's go to you first. Gasly, the the sort of the sixth the the lost child at the moment of the top 3 he uh, he sort of did okay yeah it's uh, one of those interesting ones where he sort of made minor headlines for actually doing something for the first time this season made it into Q3 for his first time in the Red Bull still big improvements to make um but it is an improvement on what we've seen before is are we damning him with faint praise though is this going to be a stroll type scenario where we kind of go well you know it's quite good for Gasly really the benchmark is Verstappen. I think so. Um, it's always going to be hard to judge. Verstappen is so good. He's so confident. He's an absolute character of his own. So Verstappen is kind of the level that everyone wants to achieve to be when you're in a Red Bull. Um, Gasly kind of becoming sort of a Ricardo. You see it mirrored with Ricardo at the minute. They've taken both of them, taken these first two races just to settle into the cars a bit. And I think there's no point condemning them both now, especially condemning Gasly now. I know a lot of people are. Um, but just see how he progresses from here. This is an improvement. It's still He's still got quite a way to go to get within, you know, the hundredth and the tenth of the second between in his qualifying laps between um, himself and Verstappen. There is a way to go, but it's an improvement. And I think that's positive. Well, that seems overly reasonable. Nick, would you condemn Gasly's disappointing performance so far this season? Oh, I, I would for sure. Um, he qualified P6. He finished P6. That's where he needs to be at the least. So at least he's not well off that. But I mean, he was what, 45 seconds behind Verstappen at the end of the race. He still has a long way to go and he would admit it himself and Formula One is not someplace where you can just be like, well, you know, they tried their best. Um, and no, no driver would ever, um, they, they wouldn't bash their teammate too much because they want to look good in comparison. But you, he can't just be like, well, it's Max. So what do you expect me to do? Speaking of Max, he got very upset with the other kids because they didn't take their turn in qualifying and came up with a rule I've never heard of. You know what this reminds me of? I don't know if you guys had this in England, but when I was growing up here in America lands, we we would um, get impatient at the water fountain in, in grade school. And we would you know tell people, save some for the fishes and stuff like that. And we, we would make up arbitrary rules about the number of seconds that you were allowed to drink from the fountain before you had to let somebody else take a turn. And that's what this reminded me of. So Max was going to go around for a second run in Q3. And there was only, you know, 20 or 30 seconds maybe until the checkered flag before they had to start their final lap. And Sebastian was not going to make it over the line if he was waiting for Max. So he did the only sensible thing and he went around. And Max, um, to take the common parlance around here, threw all of his toys out <laughs> of the pram. 
Uh, Matt, you'll have to explain that to me because I, I did miss qualifying um, visually. I caught it on on the BBC sound commentary. So there was four cars that didn't get to show themselves fully at the end of Q3. Uh, both Haas and both Red Bulls, in fact. What happened was Mercedes uh, put their cars out first and then drove a remarkably slow outlap. And there was just a big trail of cars behind them. But as you know, as you get to the last turn, you tend to drop back because the reality of uh, the disturbed air behind the car is it can be eight or 10 seconds down the track. So they try to put that much room in between themselves so that they have completely clean air to drive into. Unfortunately, what that meant was a whole bunch of people weren't going to make it across the line. And you could see even from the first sector, uh, Leclerc was just passing people left and right, trying to get to that point, and neither Ferrari, as a result, had an optimal last run at qualifying because they drove too fast to just get across the line on time, and it was just sort of a strategically amazing miscalculation by more than a few people on the pit wall. I suspect they were hanging out together, possibly drinking too much the night before. Before we move on to uh, the race, Nick, obviously one of our big discussions in Bahrain was the Ferrari pace versus reliability. They got through the race fine today, but in qualifying, they lacked that edge. Do you, do you put that down to just the circumstances we've described or perhaps them taking a more conservative view? It's um, It probably is a more conservative view. It, it does give the impression that they could turn it up uh, in Bahrain if they wanted to, but that it's, it's too risky that they'll, they'll fry their electronics and overheat everything. Um, and so they have to make sure that they, they make it to the end of the race. And I was encouraged. Um, oh, at good. The inter- no, I'm glad weather- you're encouraged. <laughs> I was encouraged when I saw that it was going to be a bit cooler oh. um, on Sunday. I thought that might work into their hands a little bit. But of course, I am on the show today. So you know that it didn't play out in that way. Now, we could say that we only have you on the show when Ferrari do badly, or we could just say that we book you on the show frequently and frequently Ferrari drop the ball. However, I did promise you this wouldn't turn into a Ferrari bashing session. Although you do have to admit that throughout the show, there's going to have to be some constructive deconstruction about what, about why they were terrible. Sure. I will, I will accept that. So the, uh, the chat room is a little concerned about where your, your beard has gone. It is quite shocking to see a normally bearded person's face. It is. Um, I think I just got kind of tired of, of playing with it and it's getting a little bit warmer here in, in the South. Um, so just trying something new. I'm sure I will, uh, grow it back immediately. See, if you're a podcast listener for the audio, did you know there was a podcast version? You can find us on YouTube by searching Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and you can join the live chat and you too can insult the physical features of the panel like they did with Nick there. Or if you're watching this video while you're driving, you fools, don't do that. Do a hands-free, eyes-free version, which is the podcast. Both can be found at MissedApexPodcast.com. Okay, what we do here when we start our race review proper is we ask Matt Trumpets to tell us where the race was won and lost. Well, I think there were probably three major points to consider. And the first was absolutely at the start when uh, Botas picked up wheel spin uh, reportedly across the painted line. I know Sky did a deconstruction of this, but I feel like they missed a trick or two. The second point 
No, I'm just saying that doesn't sound like a good excuse to me. That is such a racing driver excuse. We'll get onto that. But also reminds me of when Francis Bannister in year five made me and Martin Cushing compete in athletic events for for her position as boyfriend. And then I said, because I lost the race, I said it was because there was no insoles in my shoes. That is a very similar and, you know, in maturity level of excuse from Bottas. Yeah, except for Mercedes saw the same thing when they started the formation lap. So clearly there was some issue with the traction at the start, whether it was actually the painted line. Yeah, obviously we need a Formula One car in about 100 runs and we could figure that out for sure. But anyway, that doesn't matter because the second most important and critical and actually really the most critical thing for Ferrari would be the undercut attempt by Verstappen on lap 18. This forced them to choose and made apparent that their strategic choice to try and pressure Mercedes with the fearsome and awesome pace of Vettel might have kind of backfired on them a tiny bit. And then, of course, the last thing that had a major impact on the front would be Verstappen turning it into a two-stopper for everyone in the top five, which wasn't really what was entirely predicted when we started the race. Okay, so I've got I've got two questions, perhaps one for Nick here. Nick, why on earth were Ferrari responding to the Red Bulls pitting? Like it seemed like Max Verstappen was able to dictate Ferrari's pit stop strategy in the first and then second stint. Surely Ferrari could have just been confident enough that they would be able to get past Verstappen. Um no, I I don't think it was going to work if they if they didn't stop um and clearly it didn't work for Charles because he didn't get the stop as soon as Sebastian did. And the undercut worked against him. Fine. So I find it, I find it hard to believe that, um, are you suggesting that Charles should have done a one stopper? Well, it's, it's interesting, Matt, isn't it? Cause I, I assumed it was going to be a one stopper. I have to admit, I'm not yet up to speed with what tires are, what this season, it was supposed to be simpler. I just haven't paid attention. So, most of the grid started on the tyres they qualified on, which were the softs, which were red, maybe. And I expected then, when everyone went onto the hard tyre, that that was going to be a one-stopper. Yeah, so the top five started on the mediums, just to be clear. The bottom five, which is Gasly plus the midfield, all started on the softs. And it should have been a one-stopper, except for, and I noticed this, the hard tyres, even though they would last a long time, uh, we're losing performance after about 10 or 12 laps. So I think uh, Red Bull noticed Haas going for the two-stopper and decided it would be an excellent way to pressure Ferrari. And once Ferrari bit, well, now you've opened a pit stop window behind you. So there's nobody in it. And so if you're in the front, you might as well put those tires on just to be safe in case somebody catches up with you. And that's why we saw it domino through the front end of the field like that. All right, let, let's uh, let's go to Ellen and find out her opinion on this. Because if that was Monaco, and that was like Daniel Ricciardo with his power loss last season, the, the front teams would have no reason to do that at all. But because it's China, obviously, suddenly cars coming through with tyres that are faster, as we saw with the Red Bulls last season, becomes a threat. Yeah, I don't think necessarily it was the worst idea. They, you know, you saw how Gaz or you saw how uh, Leclerc when he had been left out for longer the cars were chomping behind him and you saw that at the end with Albon as well 
well, as soon as the tire degradation started, you know, they're coming up behind him and you can really tell when the cars behind him haven't, uh, on the fresh, fresher set of tyres. Um, I think it all worked well. Obviously, it was triggered triggered by Red Bull in the first place, but I think it would have been a much different a much different race if they hadn't, just because it showed with, you know, when they are being left out for longer. Matt, there we go. Looks like we've got somebody else that understands the tyres. You're sacked. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Good. Well, look, is that is that's the race is uh, that's where the race was won and lost. I don't think there's too much to be said at this point about the the, the Mercedes battle. That was the simpler of the two battles. There was a three way scrap for the last podium place between the Ferrari boys, and that brings us on to the dreaded Ferrari team orders. So inevitably, we're going to have to ask Nick how he feels about that because this is the third race in a row. 100% of races now where there has been a team order against Charles Leclerc. So in Australia, it was hang back, don't overtake. Sure, they were on different strategies, a bit a bit closer on strategies in Bahrain, but they were told, you know, he was told, oh, hang back. But then he did. He went for it after one lap. They said, wait two. He went after one. Then they made the move before the race of coming out and declaring publicly that they would favour Vettel. It was almost like a, you know, we didn't burn him moment. So why why did you, why did they need to say that? I actually did not hear that or I didn't catch that particular um, release. I'm, I'm kind of surprised to hear that. But the, the team orders here was, was a very interesting one because it, it did seem like Vettel was, was faster than Leclerc throughout the weekend. Um, and he, he did get a good, jump on the start but he tried to go around uh on the outside and because he because that move didn't work out he ended up having the slot in behind Leclerc and then he was um I would say that he probably was faster in that first stint and he was following quite closely behind Leclerc um and they they gave Leclerc the opportunity to speed up or mm. they would have to let him by which I think is only fair I don't know how much time they gave him and, and it seems like maybe Leclerc um, was trying to do some tire management. Yeah. So he was like, I didn't know that I had to go faster because I'm not going to catch the silver arrows. So what's the point? Um, but then he got, he, he had to let him by, of course. And then I think what happened was, uh, I think Vettel's front tires were cooked in the process of following behind his teammate. Yeah. But Matt as well, look, it's, it's just a weird psychology between those guys. So obviously he did let Vettel through in the end. And do you remember how we were saying that in Australia, Leclerc was a little bit too timid, saying, can I, can I please pass him? And then in Australia, uh, in Bahrain, it was a bit more decisive. Here, back again, he sort of went, oh, oh, you know, I, I am faster. I don't know if anybody's bothered, but, you know, I, I could pass him, but whatever, you know, just you guys decide. It was very much a climb down, wasn't it? Very much like he'd had the word in his ear, you are the number two driver. Yeah, well, two things about this that struck me. Number one, almost always when we see situations like this, which is basically Vettel spent four or five laps in DRS of of Leclerc, which is Nick aptly points out, is not going to be the greatest thing for these tires. And having let Vettel buy, normally when we see this with other teams, they say, let him buy. If he can't make headway, we'll give you, we'll swap positions back. That didn't happen. That was never said. 
So I think that would be one. And then thing two is no sooner was Vettel in front than I believe he made at least three or four errors, all of which cost him time, plus the second or so they lost achieving the swap in the first place. Now, if you really wanted to have Vettel chasing, you might have switched Leclerc's strategy to a two-stopper earlier and then let him have a go at it. That would have been a more sensible way. Uh, But I don't think, last point, I don't think it was unreasonable of Ferrari to give Vettel a chance in that circumstances. I think what happened afterwards is where they really had a severe miscalculation that just uh, tumbled down the hill. Yeah, after um, Vettel went around, it was like a tire-breaking lock-up highlight reel for a while there. It was like, let's see how many corners on the circuit we can lock up. And it was front lock-ups and rear lock-ups, and it was, he was covering all of his bases. Um, but by the time they would have even thought about doing something about switching the drivers back, they were no longer able to really have the opportunity to do so because Max had gained on them in the meantime. So they really, um, they really did drop the ball on, on having that option. Uh, and then Ellen, the, the double humiliation is once he's, once he's behind and then loses the, the, the strategy to Vettel, who gets pulled in first, he then gets used as a blocker. And it's, if there was any doubt in his mind before that moment that he was being played as the number two driver, the hold up Bottas for a bit with old tyres while Vettel comes through, that must have stung. Yeah, it's really hard for him because he's in a position where he's openly said that through practice, he's not, he wasn't that confident. And this is only going to knock his confidence even further. I don't think he's recovered well after the disaster that was the race before. As much as he did podium, he should have won it. And I think it's just heartbreaking to see him then lose that confidence again, be pushed down after he is such a promising and talented force. I know everyone keeps saying, you know, he's got a future. He's still young. He's got a great future in the sport. But it's so hard to see that talent, that passion quashed at such a young age. It's Ferrari, Nick. It's what they do. It, it, apparently. So you, you've you actually skipped one of his stops. So his first stop, Vettel got the preferential because he was out in front. But as you pointed out on his second stop, they left him out to block Bottas. And that was okay. But then after Bottas got by, he still had to stay out to give a toe to Vettel. And that was when I think they really stuck the knife in. Mercedes pitted Botas first to protect Botas from Vettel. So it can be done. They had a choice to make and they protected Vettel's podium at the expense of Leclerc's fourth place, which is understandable. But what I absolutely don't get is why they then left him out till lap 23. That was five laps on a tire that was almost two seconds a lap slower than, uh, it was almost two seconds a lap slower than the one uh, that all the other front runners behind him had strapped on. And that right there did his race in. Had they brought him in the lap after Vettel, he would have had a real chance to retake that position from Verstappen. And I just, I mean, I know people are like, oh, maybe a safety car, this, that. But I just, I don't see it. I don't understand leaving him out that extra interval. Although I'm willing to admit there may have been a good reason for it. I haven't found yet. Well, it's almost like they were trying to split the strategy somehow. Like you said, maybe there's a safety car. Or maybe they would even try to go for a one stop or, or an alternative tire compound. But but they really didn't do that different of a strategy. It was really the same strategy, just worse. 
Yeah, but keep in mind, Haas made this switch lap nine. Everybody, I, I looked at my numbers. I could see right away that they were a second, second and a half faster than the people still circulating on the mediums. It was clearly a huge pace advantage there. If you're going to leave them out for just those laps, you're not giving them any kind of a tire advantage. You're just costing him like 10 seconds, 12 seconds. And that was essentially the difference he had when he put on his second set of tires and went to try and chase down Verstappen. And you couldn't do it. The tires only lasted 10 or 12 laps, which they would not have quite known then. But still, I just, uh, from my point of view, I don't see it. And, you know, apparently, you know, I, well, I heard on the grapevine, although, you know, it's not that trusted a source that Leclerc has been invited for a post-race consolation beer by Raikkonen and Massa all hosted at Ruben Barrichello's house. Is, is that true, Nick? Can you confirm that? Yeah, I just uh, heard about it on on your Twitter, and I, I think Eddie Irvine said he would be there as well. It's going to pop in. RJ Bowen in the chat room says, look, when you join Ferrari, and there's, some, there's a world champion there already, you can't be overly surprised when you get asked to fall in as the number two driver. No, I think that's true. Um, I think that's true. I think, of course, you know, he's coming up against Vettel and that's, we all expected him to fall in line as the number two, but he's such a talent as well. Just let them race. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, that they shouldn't, he should be forced back or that it should be one or the other, but just let them race it out. It would have happened at some point, the overtake would have happened. Let them decide that between themselves, let them race it out. And that's the only way you'll see performance. I suppose the problem comes, Ellen, is when you enter a kind of a tyre saving phase or you get into the middle of a stint and you've got Leclerc there thinking, well, I'm looking after my tyres and then Vettel's thinking, oh, well, I can, I can get past him. But that's a cute communication thing between the teams. There was, there seemed to be, from what we were hearing on the radio from Vettel and from what we were hearing on the radio from Leclerc, they were being told the same things, which was both go quicker, but they weren't, what they were saying back seemed to suggest that they'd been told to save their tyres, but not at the same rate. And they either, I think there was a lot of assumptions and obviously there's going to be assumptions from from my point of view because I hadn't heard the whole conversation. But there was assumptions and it just seemed like the communication between the team was not there. Um, but the problem is, if you are going to get let past your teammate, especially when you've been criticised in the previous two races and there's a suspicion that this guy who's come in is probably faster than you, although, you know, we can have this conversation at the end of the season, but at the moment it looks a little bit like that. You've then got to pull away. There is a danger here for Vettel's reputation overall. Was he under pressure then? Does that explain why he kept locking up on the corners? Did he know that? Because in the press conferences, as he does, as he always is, he seems relaxed and he seems quite chill. Um, but is he showing the pressure? Is he under pressure by the team? Because he's making these mistakes straight away. He should have gone out more confident and owned that. I should have warned you, Ellen. Nick is a Vettel fan. We We don't. Uh, we don't mind some bias here, but I could just see his eyes being like fully triggered all the way through what you were saying. Vettel cracks under the pressure, has spun in four out of the last 10 races before this race. And as soon as he got let past under just team orders, that's the only reason he got past Nick. He then kept locking up. <laughs> I, I was just going to say it's four out of the last 11 now. Okay, it's better. <laughs> and I thought you were going to say uh, a a Vettel apologist, which, but okay, fair. No, no, fine. look, he's a four-time world champion. We respect him. However, he's just not looked great lately. He, um, 
I think the simplest explanation for the lockups is the cooked tires and, and the poor balance of the car and the setup. And I think he makes mistakes less in pressure in, in clean air than he does in wheel to wheel racing. So if he had done that when he was trying to make a move on Bottas or something, then I, then I would buy that argument. But I don't think him just out there by himself was mental errors. Well, look, you can't blame us for dwelling on the Ferrari story in this race review. Definitely the story of the race and something that's going to unfold over the course of the season. When it's Mercedes telling an obviously faster driver last season that he can get through, say, Bottas, who has not been performing. When it's later in the season and there's a championship clearly at stake for one driver and not the other. But when you're three races in and you're making team orders against a kid who's probably not proven to have been slower than his teammate. And it's the first three races of the season, Nick, you can forgive us for making that the big story. Well, I'll just, uh, I'll just be even more cynical about Ferrari than you. I mean, are they even in the driver's championship fight at this point? I mean, how many points is Vettel already down? I mean, it's, is it even many salvageable? Does it even matter? Well, well, I think Verstappen is third in the championship at the moment. And uh, and Vettel is less than third. So there's Nick going, what? And Googling it. But I believe the current lineup is Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen, Vettel, Leclerc. And I'm getting a thumbs up from Ellen there. Matt. That is, that is correct. Yeah, it's mostly because the Ferrari drivers are just stealing points off each other. Oh, and if that happens all through the season, I mean, I'm I'm a solid neutral. I don't favor one driver over the other. But if I was to support Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, that would be very good news indeed. Now, we don't just discuss serious matters like team orders here. We also like to assign blame. Whose fault is it? Now, Ellen, you might hear that, like Anthony Davidson on Sky doing the no blame scenario. Oh, it's just a racing incident. Yeah, we don't. We don't do that here. We judge incidents uh, based on the model that I have fostered in my marriage. So blame is the most important thing to be assigned in any dispute. If the house was on fire, we would have to assign blame first before picking up the children and the pets and running out of the building. Only one whose fault is it this week. And it was the incident between Norris, Kvyat and Science on turn six of lap one. We're going to go round the panel first and just see because... It's wide open. There's a few different players here. Let's see whose fault people think it is. Let's go for you, Ellen, first. Just quickly, who whose fault is it? Uh, Kvyat. Daniel Kvyat. The torpedo has returned, says Ellen Ellard. Nick Alexander. Concurs. The you, torpedo is back. You're going for Kvyat as well. Uh, trumpets. I have a complicated answer, but if we we're going to trace it back to its root cause, Alonso. And what is your more relevant answer? Norris, all the way. You're giving that, you're blaming Norris for that. This Completely shakes Completely 100%. Yeah. There's some upset Absolutely. people on the planet. Uh, panel. Now, I am going, I've got a similar thing to you. I am actually blaming Kimi Raikkonen overall for that incident. And you're judging, you watch it back after I give my explanation. I'm actually with Matt a little bit that I, that I think Norris was not blameless. Uh, and I also don't think that Sainz was blameless either. Let's start with Ellen. Who caused that incident? Whose fault was it? I think um, I totally agree with the stewards. I think Kvyat was well in place to have the drive-through penalty. I think he went into the turn too quickly. I think he oversteered. He hadn't looked properly to see who was on the outside of him. And he just assumed that 
he would be without damage going in in the turn as well. Uh, I think whilst there was a lot of portions to blame, I think I, I do think Norris, I, I agree that he kind of came back off and came back in, but Kvyat had the space on the inside to move back in. He had oversteered. He pulled to the outside where he could have taken that inside line and it would have all been fine. I think the stewards looked at it in a way where it could have been who could have avoided the situation more. And I think that was Kvyat. Actually, yeah, that's a key thing. Now, I, I, I'm down with that. If they talk about who had the most opportunity to avoid that incident. Um, if you look at Kvyat, he was right on the inside of that corner. So he was right on the apex and he had the overspeed moment after he got on the power. So could it have been that he was getting on the power at the normal time, Nick, at his normal exit point, not kind of realising, no, I have to like tuck in and get more steering lock in. So you said overspeed instead of oversteer, but I actually like it because that's that's not wrong. He was he went into the corner too fast and he couldn't get around and he had oversteer. And um, I definitely think it's his fault. And what I thought was really interesting was I read a lot of people online saying that it's not his fault because he had oversteer. As if it's just this thing that just randomly happens to cars and you can't control it. And um, when it happens, then you can go wherever you need to. Uh, there you go, Matt. That's the old, uh, yeah, I slip and fell, uh, dear. And she was just there. I t- it was, I'm completely innocent. Yeah, that's the, oh, I saw you fall off your bicycle in front of me, but then I ran my bicycle into you anyway. Yeah, he did have oversteer, but the oversteer came on throttle application. He didn't lose control. He didn't lock up sliding through the turn and lose control that way. He was in control through the turn. He put the throttle down as he normally did, and he had oversteer. Why? Well, I don't know. Cold tires, graining, and full tanks in all likelihood all contributed to that. Plus, he was probably not on the exact line he would normally take through there because there were other cars in the vicinity, and this happens a lot in the first lap of the race. But nonetheless, you have him opening the steering to regain control of the car. Now, we've seen Hamilton magically understeer Rosberg off the track in the first turn at Coda. This is a thing that happens fairly regularly. Nothing he did really was incitement for any kind of blame. Uh, Bruce Wayne says Kvyat had enough road Matt Trumpets. I I added the angry Matt Trumpets naming uh, and the McLarens didn't. So he's simply saying that that Kvyat had the road in the line and the McLarens had nowhere to go. Uh, Ellen, you answer that one first. That's that's my main point is that he had the opportunity to get out of the situation where sadly the McLarens had no more road. They had no space. And that's what caused the situation. He had the, the opportunity to get out. But see, I think this absolutely makes my point because of the three drivers, yeah, go on. Norris was the only one who was four wheels off the track at that point. And you have a duty of care when you are off the track to rejoin safely. It's in the reg- in the actual regulations, the FIA regulations. Is it? You must rejoin safely. And the fact is that although Kvyat did come over and he did move signs over and they might have bumped wheels regardless... It was Norris coming back onto the track and closing the wedge on signs that caused signs left front to tip Norris back right wheel. And then that sent Norris directly into Kvyat and him up into the air and signs front wing all over the track. And that's why I absolutely put it on Norris. Well, now, hang on. Now, Ellen wants to get in. Ellen, I cannot tell because you have one of those faces that when you're completely relaxed, looks really angry. Do you just disagree with Matt or are you furious at him as your face suggested? 
it's a bit between the two. I I I understand where where it's where you're coming from. I understand that he was off. I don't think he was fully off. Um, I think he moved back on, but that would have been something that would have been looked at incredibly like scrupulously by the stewards. They know what they're looking for, and they know he'd moved over, but it didn't move over. It was the the whole clamping motion. He had nowhere else to go. He couldn't stay off the track. Whereas Kvyat could have moved in, they all could have shuffled slightly to the side and the stewards would have seen him moving back on and then there would have been some consideration from that. I don't think that Norris moving back on caused caused the problem to that extent. Yeah, so I I obviously agree that if you leave the track, then it's your responsibility to join the track safely. But could Norris possibly have expected Kvyat to be there, Matt? It wasn't, it wasn't Kvyat that Norris hit, it was his own teammate. But that was because he was pushed into. That was the jolting movement from the side, was uh, it the, not? The the movement, Signs wasn't pushed into Norris. Norris was coming back onto the track as and took away Signs' ability to move leftwards. Because remember, in Formula One, all you need is one wheel to the right or left of the white line to be considered on the track. So if I'm leaving a car's width, I don't have to leave four wheels between me and the white line. I have to leave enough room for one wheel to be over the white line. And that's generally been the way we've judged these sorts of racing. Well, well, kind of, but if we're at Monaco and there's a barrier on the white line, then we would prefer a car's width, you know, including, you know, including the the track. Whereas somewhere here with a lot of runoff, we think a little bit more leniently, one car's width could include that big wide curb, which is about half a car's width. So it really does depend how we judge Lando Norris coming back onto the track. However, Signs had an opportunity to lift out. Norris was clearly coming back on the track, Matt. I don't think he's completely blameless. He ended up making contact with Norris and have Kvyat capture him because Kvyat, if Norris wasn't there, Kvyat was just shutting the door. And there was more than, say, three quarters of a car's width to the left of Kvyat. If Norris wasn't there, Signs would have drifted onto the curb and they would have gone side by side into the fine, into the next corner. Yeah, exactly. And this is why I get back to ultimately being Norris' responsibilities. He was the one who was fully off the track, and so he has the duty to rejoin safely. You just stopped talking. That's really weird. <laughs> Sorry, I was I was thinking somebody else would pick up that. What, thought. mid-sentence? Um, no. Yeah, no, I, I didn't totally lose my place anything and forget the second point I was going to make. That did not happen. In that case, I leave it to me to make the conclusive argument of why it was Kimi Raikkonen's fault. I feel bad for Lando Norris because in my head, I think it's Lando Norris's fault for coming back on the track and interfering with an incident that otherwise would have been completely fine. However, if you roll back the frames, Kimi Raikkonen also had an overspeed, oversteer moment coming into turn six. He was well ahead of Norris, but because of the moment he had, Norris suddenly found himself with Raikkonen closing the door, and that's why Norris left the track. So that's why I'm reluctant to blame him too much, but I think it was I think it was his fault. Ah, everyone Yeah, good. I win. Good. I like that. Oh, I like that segment. The reason why we don't do racing incidents is because it makes us think about the rules. See there, Matt made an incorrect statement that you're supposed to leave a car's width on the outside. That's not even a rule. That is a rule on the straight before the braking zone. It doesn't apply in the corners. So we've got to kind of make it up ourselves. I like that we talk about racing. I like that we don't say it's a racing incident at all. Um, let's get to know our panel a little bit more. Nick Alexander, you have a book podcast where some 
of the panel have actually read the book that you're reviewing. It's it's a good concept. It is, yeah. So it's called What's It About Podcast? And we have a website now, what's it about podcast.com. You can go check it out, listen to the episodes if you want. And uh, yeah, we read books and we talk about it and we try to get one person on who has not read the book to kind of ask questions and keep us on the rails. Why? That doesn't make any sense. She's got one. Lo- Imagine having a race review and there was one person who just didn't watch the race, which did actually happen once. Sure. Oh, oh, I, well, I won't call him out any more than you've already called him out, but I know who you're talking about. It was Felix. But, uh, I can't assume that uh, everyone's going to read a book to listen to every episode. So I try to make it so that you don't have to listen to the book where it might entice you to subsequently go read the book. Yep. Not sold on that at all. It's called What's It All About? podcast and it's about books which is like a tv program except you yourself have to read the words out in your mind or or aloud uh our new friend here ellen ellard bbc presenter and producer and also a trackside commentator for athletics yeah yeah um big fan of athletics uh really excited coming into the summer season so looking forward to taking up the mic again in a couple of events now i haven't listened to your trackside commentary are you a, a color commentator along the lines of you know crofty yelling the grid positions at you or are you more of a test match special test cricket style commentator i like to think i'm a mix of the two um i like to sort of bring in the excitement when there is obviously when you've got a 10,000 meter race and there's one outright winner leading by 200 to 400 meters it's quite hard to bring the color and excitement into it but for those shorter races it it can be really fun and exciting to you know get up get jumping around like the crowd and really getting involved with the races uh, so uh, so plug it all where can people find you on social media or, and if they're interested in watching your athletics commentary where can they do so uh, so I'm on Twitter at Ellen Ellard underscore. I'm on Instagram. That's just Ellen Ellard. And on, um, yeah, I commentate for Vinco. And so you can find all the, all their coverage on runjumpthrow.com. We, we don't do underscore Twitter handles here, Ellen. This is awkward, but it's, just, it's just the worst thing you it's can just do. Just at the end. It's not at the start. I think that's worse. It's not even integral to the name. It's just a random what? underscore as if to personally insult okay. me. Should I should I explain why it was at it, at one point when I used to work somewhere else I used to have underscore the other radio station I worked and then the name of the radio station uh, I worked at and then I left there and I don't want to put underscore BBC because I don't know was that pretentious I feel like lots of people do that so um, I just left it without it. <laughs> Search for Ellen Ellard on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you very much for joining us. We're going to talk about Mercedes now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, Matt, for the good of the sport, if Mercedes are going to be dominating, especially in the early season before Ferrari get to grips with whatever issues it is they're having, and we may explore that later, it is good for the sport if there would at least be a Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg style battle with Bottas. There was early hope in Australia, but I feel like I want to put to bed this notion that there is a legitimate Valtteri Bottas challenge. I don't think there is. I think today he was consistently nearly half a second a lap down. Hamilton was really super in control. And for Bottas to claim that the start was his only issue and the pace was very similar, I just, oh, that's sweet, Valtteri, but no. I like this because it, it brings out the qualitative difference between you and me. You the, have an the vast age gap. And you were willing to take a single data point, extrapolate based on experience, and make all sorts of judgments. No, that's the opposite. Based of on that. that. We don't have the data right now. We know, we know <laughs> that it's a two to one. We know it's two to one, but here I, 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 will, I will bring out to you my thinking, and you can either agree or, as you were wanting, let Nick jump in there quickly. It. I just have to jump in. I just have to laugh at you for saying based on your experience, like you just used his professional experience as like a, a negative thing. thing in coming to conclusions. It's, it's just the way engineers tend to work. No, I've known a few in my lifetime. They they are very confident, and they are they are in a position where they have to make judgments based on their experience, especially where he comes from. And I, I'm not knocking that at all. No, don't but you, you don't have a correct grip on my thinking. But say your incorrect thing, and then I will I will defend I, myself. So, but but I, I say all this mostly in jest to lead up to my point. Crazy, crazy old fool. Go on then. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I know. But I know plenty of engineers. And I... And, well, anyway. Oh, you've got an engineer friend. Is that what I, you're? Is that what you're coming at me with? I have relatives that are engineers, man. Oh, wow. Okay, fine. Sorry, sorry. I mean, you know, it, it just it's it's a thing, and you could point to the way scientists think, and you can find similar weaknesses because we all agree that in any systematic approach, there are always weaknesses and strengths. Yeah, it's okay. I'm, I'm married to that, a that's what I'm, I'm trying to. Say. I'm married to a musician, so I'm used to just flaky, random guesses. So yeah, yeah it's fine. And, Go on, and carry this on. This is the way we work too. But here's the thing. What was what was the margin? What was the biggest margin between Bottas and Hamilton at any point during the race? What, in lap times? And, uh, yeah, I mean, just the biggest gap between the two, but the interval between them. Okay, two. so at one point, he was seven seconds ahead seven in seconds the final stint. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's about more or less where they finished up. So when we had our second round of pit stops, what was Mercedes able to do because that gap existed? Double stack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, before we go and say he's just slower... Well, you could say, for example, in Bahrain, he was just slower, but they had an excuse for that. I'm just saying that the difference between them could be explained simply by Mercedes' 
wanting that distance and or Botas just saying, I'm going to conserve as much as possible because I want more engine later. Okay, it could be that. And let's also bear in mind that Lewis Hamilton lost some time advantage because they gave Bottas the first pit stop to make sure he covered off against Vettel. So that closed the gap in as well. And yeah. the car in front can ma- can manage the pace. So I don't think we're going to see the gap between them two as a an indicator of their relative pace. However, Matt, I'm going to address your from one data point thing, because it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite, all right? The trend we've seen for two years is that Lewis Hamilton is faster on race pace than Valtteri Bottas. And that is the trend. Right. And fans get excited when we see a spike. A spike is like Australia. That was the spike in form. So when you see a spike in a trend, look for a reason for the spike. Don't assume that the spike is the start of a new trend. So it's the opposite of what you said. So when you look at Australia, you don't assume, oh, Bottas was better in this race. Therefore, this is the start of a new dawn of Robotas. It's the beard and the porridge. Now he's definitely faster. You go, hmm, what's the reason for that? change in the trend oh no look floor damage okay so i ask this i ask this question how many how many times has botas won qualifying in the first three races ellen you know um um is it is it only twice once once or twice twice and twice. the time that he was off was he off by around a tenth or was it more like three to five tenths as it was last season okay yeah, it was the tenth it was, it was like it was like point one one six. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll address the qualifying form in, the, in a moment, but we are clearly talking about the points deciding day on Sunday, where Lewis Hamilton is consistently much faster. Well, I would say they were about the same pace today. He was much faster in Bahrain, and Botas was faster in Australia. So, oh, God, you're mad! Yeah, there Hamilton we go. could there we go. could do like there we go. Could, I'm just any, saying, I don't think it's a trend. At any point. He could do 0.4 faster than, than Bottas consistently. He was much faster today. Nick, come on, back me up here. It's, it's hard to tell because I think Matt's very long-winded argument has some merit that there's no point in unleashing Bottas to try to catch Hamilton and pass him on track. Just take home the one-two and no need to sit two seconds behind and, and cook your tires. So I don't know that we really got the the fair comparison it, it really did seem like uh hamilton was ahead at turn one and that was it and i hope it's not like that for the next 18 races right so i was wrong about qualifying it was only once so apologies apologies chat rooms helping me out there but i don't think we have the evidence to say that he's that much slower than hamilton right now that's what i'm saying ellen let's let's see which side your bread is buttered what do you think? It can Bottas mount a challenge? I don't think this has got anything to do with Bottas. Um, it's it's Hamilton. That's the thing. I think the reason why Hamilton was quicker today, they said he's been practicing on his starts. Um, looking outside of that and the fact that, you know, he's dedicated, he'll practice, he'll improve, he'll take every race, every qualifying, every practice, look at the data, tweak it and make that and iron out all those weaknesses. So I think this is more about what Hamilton's doing to get better to get quicker they're ironing out the problems with the car they're sorting that out they're sorting out any technical issues he had at the start of the year he's also come from you know an off season where he's doing everything he's jetting around the world anyway he's got so many commitments outside of the sport that maybe for Hamilton it just takes him that race that one race that two races to click back into race mode for him he's got so much going on outside of the sport that maybe he just needs to get into that mode where he is in a season of racing and he's racing every other week 
and also in qualifying, Ellen, he does have this kind of all or nothing element. So, I mean, 2015, Nico Rosberg was the fastest qualifier over the course of the year, although Hamilton had the much stronger race performance. So some of that qualifying does get masked by the fact that he just rolls the dice. Yeah, I don't think he's letting that get to him as much anymore. He's using, I don't think he's getting as hit up as what, you know, on what happens on the qualifying. He sees it as a new day and he goes out and makes the most of whatever position he is on the grid. And I think you've got to do that. You know, you never, qualifying is such a different kettle of fish to an actual race day. There's so much that is so different. It's so much, obviously, with only doing one lap, one flying lap. But he goes out and he makes that race his own. He's working on his starts. That's where the issues were. Uh, he's ironed that out. And he, you saw today, he had a great start. So I think he's got to keep moving forward, got to keep moving on and working on those weaknesses. I have to ask the British people why you say kettle of fish. Does this, the kettle is what you boil water in to make tea <laughs> in, is it not? Why would there be fish I don't in even know why I say it. I just say it. Everyone else says it. I think that's a very British thing. Everyone else says it, so I say it's it. It's very un-British to question it, Nick. This is embarrassing. <laughs> just get in line. <laughs> I grew up with that saying. It's a different kettle of fish. Everybody says that. That's because in Matt's day, you used to have to get your fish from the well in the village, and that was your only source of water. Then you would pull that up and you would boil it on, I don't know. I don't know how America works. Uh, right. Red Bull. They could fight on the straight, Nick. They could fight on the straight. How good did that Honda Red Bull look down the long straight chasing down Vettel? It kind of looked like not that lame an engine. Uh, one of the Red Bulls uh, looked pretty good today. Yeah, or or um, or or two of them if you uh, if you include Alex Albon as a as a Red Bull uh, as as well. Um, yeah, Max is really impressive so far this season. Um, wish his car was a little bit faster. Wish he could be up at the front, uh, uh, fighting for a victory rather than just a podium. But um, yeah, the the Honda power unit seems to be right up there and ahead of Renault at any case. So what can they do? What can they do with it? Ellen, you talked about Gasly earlier. The big problem he's got is that he, yes, he he just about finished sixth, but was so little of a threat that he could get pitted and sent out for the fastest lap. That's the thing. He had the time to get pitted. I don't think looking at the race, the end result with the, you know, the split between them at the end, I don't think that's a good way of looking at it because he had he had pitted and gone back out. He went out for the fastest lap. He got the point. I mean, what more could you want from him at the end of the day? It's a lot better than what else we've seen, you know, that car produce and the driver produce over the last few weeks. Oh my, oh my goodness. Crofty with the cheek on, on Gasly, the sarcastic applause. Look at Gasly, such a team player, so far behind that he can stay out there, uh, a pit window back of his teammates so that he can continue to cover off Ricciardo. Well done, Gasly. That was, that's my thing of the weekend. Matt. Well, the chat room is now producing a dissertation on kettles, if you'd like to know. <laughs> Let's get into the etymology. Where, where did the word etymology come from? That's, that's what no one ever tells you. But anyway, go yeah. on. Uh, apparently, uh, that particular kind of kettle refers not to tea kettles, but to the long saucepans that have been used for centuries to poach whole salmon, namely fish kettles. There you go. Thank you, Peter Dagan. There's a fish kettle. Great. And what do you think about uh, Red Bull's aero with that Honda engine? Actually, briefly, Matt, we, okay. we had a sniff, you and I. You and I, we will get spoken to by various people in and around the paddock. And, and 
when when we're sure of something we tend to we tend to understand it don't we if if mr apex understands something that's like our highest level of thinking a thing is true yeah but this yeah. isn't that this is we reckon we reckon that the we ferrari can. we 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 gather that ferrari can't run as high a rake as they want uh, which is very significant for the aero so if they if they're missing rear wing that kind of correlates. Nico Rosberg was saying they they are missing rear wing, but if they can't run high weight rake, and apparently that's because of the suspension's fragility, then that's a real bad aero concept problem for them. Well, it's really a reliability problem, and it goes back to the failure they suffered in Barcelona of the left front tire. Is what what has been what we have understood or what we've heard is that that was actually a suspension, a component of the suspension that they decided design was flawed. And they reverted to an older specification, which reduces the rake. Reducing the rake reduces the effectiveness of their diffuser at the given car length, because you simply have less surface area for it to work properly. This unbalances the car, number one, meaning that my rear wing is now inadequate because my diffuser is less. That means I have to take off of the front of the car downforce which we already know downforce on the front of the car is not their strong suit to begin with and where are they racing in china which is a front limited circuit if we'd really thought about this ahead of time we'd have seen that it was never going to be on for them to be serious contenders and that's why they were fast on the straights that's why they were slow in the corners and that doesn't even get into my favorite which is with a different rake you're also changing the deformation of the tires around the corners which will interfere with the arrow all the way down the side of the car and especially into the diffuser as well it wasn't designed for that and until they sort it it's going to be a lingering problem however on rear circuits as in baku they will be closer and more on point i I really appreciate you speeding up the words you were saying because i'd completely switched off so you speaking quicker made it end quicker which i which i appreciate i think nick you know he's a team player yeah, so that was really amusing how excited he got about that. But at risk of having him talk about this even longer, I think he needs to define front limited. I can do it. Let, let me do well, it. We'll let Spanners do it. Yeah, so it'll be faster that way. Yeah, let me do it. I'm the I'm the best one anyway. I mean, Matt's kind of old. Okay, so actually, in our in our private discussions, it turned out not all the panel understood that either. So rear limited is where you have a lot of traction events, such as Monza, the sort of point and squirt circuits do we define baku as a point and squirt circuit lots of 90 degree corners would that be rear limited matt because that's next yeah yeah i i believe it is rear limited although i always like to go and check because it's not always obvious so bahrain lots of 90 degrees corners lots of hairpins point and squirt so ferrari more competitive they're less competitive in this front limited chinese circuit which is a lot of a lot of increasing no hang on decreasing radius corners so like turn one starts off fast, you have to chuck it in quick fast, and then uh, and then you're you're bleeding downforce as you brake, and you're having to tighten up at the same time. So that's wearing the front, and and the car's trying to understeer out of that. It's one of those simple points, isn't it? Like I, I bet there's people out there too afraid to ask. So tell me if I've explained if I've explained that well. I have, however, lost the flow of what we were talking about, Matt. Which was I think was it Red Bull? Red Bull not got aero for once. Yeah, well, I mean, we had brought up Ferrari and what we learned about them. Oh, and yeah. And honestly, uh, I, I sort of you completely got just hijacked, distracted yeah. by a sh- bright, shiny object in the chat room. And well, you know. Good. All right. Should, should we just move on? Because there was a Formula B. We like to have Formula One and also Formula B. 
I think that makes sense. We've also got Formula Williams to cover as well. But Daniel Ricciardo, the winner of Formula B, which is good. Are you a Daniel Ricciardo fan, Ellen? Uh, because he hasn't made the best start at Renault. And I was not optimistic, but I think he's put in seat time in Bahrain. And now he's found a way to make Nico Hulkenberg's car stop and therefore win. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, I think it was just getting used to that car again. He did seem, which I, I actually think that was quite unusual. He did seem quite confident pre-season in saying the car suited him and he'd made the jump in the first place. So that seemed to say that he had some kind of insider knowledge that the car was going to be better than we thought it was. Um, it then looked like it wasn't. Now he's looked like he's kind of grown into it. He's now understanding and using it better. So I think it's positive from him. I, I'd like to see him go a bit further, but to be best of the rest, there's not much more you can ask of him. He's not never going to be up there much further, higher, unless there's a major incident, I don't think. I suppose, Matt, it would have been weird if he'd have gone there going, yeah, I've made a terrible decision. It was just getting a bit heated with Max. The Renault's a donkey. You can see that from a mile off. Uh, Really, they offered me a lot of cash. So he's got to be confident and say it's going to suit my style, etc. Yeah, and maybe it does. But let's consider Hulkenberg retired with an MGUK failure, which is, I don't know, they're, they're batting a thousand in American parlance. For nope. failures in races. Uh, and I think you could encapsulate it very carefully by the Sky commentators at the end of the race going, oh, look at that. He was only 25 seconds off Gasly. Oh, except for Gasly made a third pit stop. So, well, there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so um, don't get me wrong. Happy to see Ricciardo up in, in P7 and, and not well down the grid. But without his teammate finishing the race, it's hard for me to make a a like-for-like comparison and see how well he he really did. Because uh, if you go back to the Red Bulls and you look at Gasly versus Verstappen, if you just look at Gasly's P6, you'd think that he'd done brilliantly. But as we've already mentioned, he was was an entire pit window behind his teammate. So he really didn't do that well. So um, for me, the verdict is, is definitely still out on this Rick versus Hulk battle. It's a fascinating one. And it is a team battle that we want that will answer a lot of questions, won't it, uh, Matt, about our historic understanding of the driver's relative merits. Because the theory I was saying earlier was I reckon that the gap between the drivers is way bigger in terms of talent and what they can deliver in a car than we realise. We tend to think it's all about the car. I think that we are in a sport which is selected to mostly wealthy people and mostly people of means and... You know, even people like Hamilton, who would have been the rich kid at my school, uh, is is somebody whose dad worked two jobs, etc., and then got picked up at an early age. So with that limited selection, I think there's a vast difference in the driver talent pool. And this will answer a lot of questions. If Ricciardo comes up short all season long against Hulkenberg, Hulkenberg's looking real good. He is. But I think if we're going to give it a real... If we are going to make it a real point of comparison, you need at least two seasons, if not three. That's a lot, Nick. That's many seasons. I don't have that kind of patience. I don't have that kind of patience either. I can't wait that long for the Netflix series to to play out. But I really like um, Spanners' regular thoughts on the funnel of driver talent. It's just not very big right now. And it needs to be a lot bigger. And if it was bigger then you would really only get that cream of the crop, the cream of the crop, the 99.9th percentile of drivers for sure. And now we assume that that's what we have, but it's probably not necessarily true. I agree. 
the only thing I have with that is far as it relates to Formula One, is that no, we wouldn't necessarily, because advancement to Formula One and in single-seaters is never solely based on merit. Only for the 100th, top 100th of 1%, perhaps, the Hamiltons, is it. Otherwise, it's always a combination of name recognition, marketing and ability, and ability to bring sponsorship to the team. So until there is let's say like an IndyCar where there's a ladder where if I have $5,000, I can start at Skip Barber and win my way to IndyCar until Formula One has a similar ladder. You're never going to get the meritocratic comparison that we would all really love to see. Starting to throw out some pretty big words. I think it's probably time for Spanners to move it along. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I should go on. I think Matt wants to say another thing. I do, but if we're going to move it along, can I bring up something about pit stops? Is it tyre-related? Well, I mean, that's normally what they do in a pit stop now that you can't refuel. Oh, good. It is tyre-related. Do carry on. Everybody else, uh, make a brew. This is a good time for a comfort break. Uh, Let's relax whilst Uncle Trumpets tells us a story under the tree. Well, it was just a key observation about the midfield in that all of the midfielders who finished in the point... (coughs) Huh? Is Gesundheit? I was literally not me making that noise. I mean, there's yes. nobody else in in the shed, as far as I <laughs> as far as I know. Okay, from. good. That's there's a ghost in the machine. <laughs> I said, we're we gonna uh, we're gonna well, let's blame Ellen because she's new. Uh, carry on, Matt. Right. I was just going to make the observation that all of the midfielders who finished in the points, and this includes Ricardo, ran one stoppers, and that's because they were able to start all of them except for Ricardo on the medium tire. And run long, which is what we expected the sharpen of the field to do. And in fact, the sharpen did the exact opposite. But the one stopper was the winning strategy for the for the midfield in this race. And it speaks to maybe the fact that the Pirelli tires aren't working correctly in the way that they envisioned for the midfield in the same way that they are for the sharpen. Okay. Now, do you know what? I, I give you abuse for the tires. I'm gonna I'd listen to some of that. So in Formula Williams. Russell was ahead, but he was on the two stop. So that's even, that's even worse for, uh, for, uh, Kubica, who unfortunately has kind of admitted that he doesn't know why Russell and seems to have more grip and pace in, in the race. And even he had the tire strategy advantage today. Yeah, he did, but he also had an exceedingly long pit stop that kind of just dragged him out of contention. That's okay. Look, so, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We've got no Polish listeners left anyway. Thanks to Joe. So that's fine. We don't have to worry about not offending them anymore. Uh, mentioned in dispatches, Matt, just a few more before we move to the podium. Albon getting into the points, as you predicted. Yeah, and then Grosjean came along the last four laps and scared the, you know, what out of me because I'd already said, I'd already taken my victory lap in the WhatsApp <laughs> chat. And then I was like, oh, look, Grosjean on fresh tires is going to catch him with three or four laps to go. Uh, should I delete? The, should I delete? But no, no, I persevered. I persevered. And Albon phenomenal he had phenomenal pace he outqualified Kvyat had he started he might have made Q3 but even had he started in 11th he he could have been up by Ricardo up by Perez very very easily and definitely one to watch going forward definitely yeah, he's he's really impressive at the moment he speaks very well he's driving very well it's early days but I am so quietly optimistic for the new British driver that was actually the least fancied of the the three rookies coming in, but he's quietly going about his business. 
You know, he races on a Thai license. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, we don't have, talk about that. We we have not, we have not until it goes wrong. We have a system here in the UK, and we'll explain it to to Matt and um, to Matt and Nick. Like David Coulthard, for example, when he was winning, he was a British driver. When he's losing, he's a Scottish driver. So I'm assuming uh, that we will apply that same system to Alban. As long as he's winning, he's as British as you like. But boy, is that Thai license going to come into play if he starts <laughs> torpedoing everyone else. Uh, well, I'll also, also mention Perez uh, up there in eighth place. I will note that Perez was up there fighting Renault's whereas his teammate Stroll was dicing it with Toro Rosso's. Not a told you so at this point. All I'm saying is Stroll is terrible. Fight me. I don't care. Right, let's move on to the podium. I enjoyed that race, Matt. I I was surprised the amount of people that were online saying that that was a, a boring race. I found it an intriguing race. Maybe it's because we have great places to hang out, like our Patreon Slack group or our Facebook group that you can find on Facebook by searching Missed Apex Podcast. Maybe it's because I had a viral tweet that had 3,500 likes on it. Oh, Matt, I nearly muted that tweet, you know, but I was enjoying the notifications. When you're as attention hungry as me, that was manna from heaven. Yeah, it, it is. It is a good feeling when you do something that travels that widely you're like yes i have done a thing i was like mrs spanners look look my joke's gone all around the world and she's like huh what is that shut up like clean the things and pick up your socks she wasn't impressed so i need you to be impressed on my behalf uh but it was an intriguing race and i i don't know i I find that kind of race fascinating because it helps us unlock the mystery of the 2019 season even if it's not cars smashing into each other yeah well i i think it is. It gave us a lot of very valuable insight into what's happening in terms of the Ferrari versus the Mercedes and in terms of where Red Bull is and how Honda is doing relative to Renault and, uh, frankly, how the teammates are doing compared to each other. So in that sense, it was very fascinating. But I, I feel like it's kind of like Kvyat getting his penalty. I feel like he got that penalty because he has his reputation from having done that thing to Vettel earlier and then done that other thing to Vettel later. And so he just got a penalty for being who he is. We came into this. Everyone said it's Ferrari so fast on the straights, Mercedes fast in the corners. They're equal on pace. But had they really thought about it, 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 they would have never promised us that race because it was never really going to happen. Yeah, it's a fascinating point you raised there about Kvyat because um, certainly footballers who go down too easily in a challenge are less likely to be awarded the penalty kick. So possibly Kvyat has that reputation. And and it doesn't help that you have different stewards for every race. So you have different stewards that come in. They, you know, yeah, we can have that argument about stewards another time, can't we, Nick? Are, are you accusing Norris of taking a dive? <laughs> Norris took a dive, came back on. I, I will protest. I think Norris was forced off the track to avoid Kimi Raikkonen. So boo, Kimi, Kimi caused that incident. Uh, what we do now is we give out awards. So we give a ba- a good thing, a thing of the weekend, a missed Apex award, which is a bad thing. So we're going to do the good thing first. Chat room, you, you pipe up. Tell us what was your thing of the weekend. Matt Trumpets, who was your thing of the weekend? Well, ah, this is tough. What I really want to say is I think Albon was my thing of the weekend. But I see somebody has already claimed that. So I will go with my second thing of the weekend, 
which had to be the battle between Verstappen and Vettel after the first pit stops, because oh my, was that a thing of beauty to watch. No penalties were called, no cars were broken, and it was just, it was, it was exactly what we were hoping to see in China at the front of the field. Nick, did you breathe during that battle? Because I don't think I did. I was like, here we go. I, I must have at some point because I'm breathing <laughs> now, but now that you mention it, I'm not sure. I probably didn't. What was your thing of the weekend? And I have to say, so brave of you to show your face, put aside your Ferrari tears and come on this show. What was your thing of the weekend? If you want to say it was Vettel for some reason, no one's going to argue with you. This is a safe place. I, uh, I'm not going to say Vettel. I'm going to say his former teammate, Kimi Raikkonen. I thought he had a great race. Uh, I think he finished in, in P8, was it? But soundly beating his teammate throughout the season and had some very nice, uh, clean racing, uh, and even a time where, um, he got passed by Ricciardo or maybe it was Perez and he fought back and looked like he might have been able to take the position back. That was really fun to watch. Ellen, what was your thing of the weekend? And it can be, uh, it could be a barrier. It could be an ethereal concept. It doesn't have to be a driver. Um, apart from Lando Norris's great use of memes afterwards, um, which is also a bad thing because it was kind of poking fun at himself. Um, it's got to be between Albon doing amazing. As you said earlier, he wasn't the most favoured out of the British two or the British three. Um, but he's really come forward, proven himself and really caught the attention of not just the British public, but everyone in the in the racing scene as well. But uh, and also the double stack from Mercedes. They put a lot on the line. It's something that, you know, obviously it's not you don't do it every day for a lot of reasons, but it could have risked a lot. And they pulled it off really well, in my opinion. Now, this is why I think that Mercedes are a proper engineering firm and not just a racing team. They're an engineering firm that goes racing. I use a gif of Mercedes doing that practice pit stop. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, a gif, Matt, is is like a video, but it's only a short amount and it goes on a loop. Some people call it a gif, but it's not. It's a gif. I use that to show good supportability, repair, uh, you know, like damage replacement of parts. And that being as important as actually building in performance. And if you look at that double stack... I get the feeling that Mercedes could have done 10. As long as somebody kept giving them fresh tyres, it just feels like they were so on it that they could have just kept going and going and going. They were still practicing pit stops a half hour before the race started. Yeah, because it's important to them. Williams yeah. was still doing pit stops that late. And I was thinking, well, what's the, what's the point? You may as well just have a five-second pit stop, super make sure there's no problem, because it's not going to make a difference. But the fastest pit stop is sometimes the only thing that Williams can well, claim any good news about. So they, they really do seem to focus on that one. My Easter just lost seven fans. Yeah, well, my Easter resolution was to stop kicking Williams when they're down. I'm a massive Williams fan. And uh, I know we get accused of like ham bias, but when Lewis Hamilton is doing badly, we are the first ones to get on top of him because as British fans, we want him to do well. Just so happens, Nick, that he has been utterly dominant over Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel for such a long time now that no one can remember me criticizing Hamilton. Well, how convenient for you and the clock. <laughs> and the clock. We'll see. We'll see. Um, let's do the bad thing. That means finding another button. Oh, here it is. I've got it. Oh, no. You missed the apex. 
This is the bad thing. We don't like to be negative here on Mr. Apex Podcast, do we, Matt? But if we have to be negative, because I've played the bumper, who would get your bad thing award? And this is where Nick will never talk to me again. But I will be honest, the call to leave Leclerc out after the first round of pit stops was just what missed the apex completely for me. Because I, I still have a hard time understanding. Well, I guess they, they could say technically we were thinking this, but I just, I still don't get it. Sorry, the first stop or the second stop? Um, the first stop. They left him out on those on those tires to lap 23. They put a Vettel lap 18. They pitted him the lap after Vettel. They might have been able to take fourth place, in my opinion. Well, there you go. And actually, that that reminds me, we didn't talk about the Mercedes tire strategy either, because they told Lewis Hamilton that the reason they lied to him, they oh, definitely God. lied to Completely. him. And like, I think is it is it Peter Boddington or Bonington? Right, he's he's got uh, he's got a heck of a job, and man management is a skill. But clearly, they were you they were giving Bottas the first stop so that he could cover off Vettel. That had to be the reason, and it closed the gap between the two of them because Bottas effectively got an undercut and brought them into a second. So Hamilton asks, "Why did Bottas go first? Oh yeah, yeah that yeah it was because it's because this race is going to be decided by tire life. <laughs> so that's the reason. So you've got an advantage here, Lewis. You've got an advantage." And then they brought them in like more or less the same time with a double stack, but put Hamilton on old tyres. So yeah, that was fully a lie. But good job from Bono. Uh, missed Apex Award. Who's next? Nick, who missed the Apex for you? I Can I give the Missed Apex and the Pony Award for the same incident? Is there a rule against that? Uh, no, not at all. But I do have to press a, another button. You're really testing me here on the fly. Normally I have... No, my my pony thing's not even on there. All right, then you do the missed apex. I'll scramble for the pony bumper. Okay. Who missed the apex for me was Max uh, not knowing how much time he had to get over the line and not understanding that people would go around to make sure that they went over the line. I don't understand why that is such a difficult concept to understand. And I also thought that it was deeply, deeply ironic that he would complain about people violating unwritten rules because if there was ever a person to play it to the letter of the law to exert the maximum advantage it would be that guy so you're giving him the pony award daddy i want a pony and i want it now you can also nominate a pony ellen if you have one but we do need your bad thing negative award um, I'd go for the same with the pony. It's uh, for him to say it's an unwritten rule when he's the first to complain about any other incident. Um, I think is quite ironic and uh, quite funny. My, the, I have to give missed apex to the situation that caused Norris to drop out. I think he's great at moving up. He's shown his prowess in being able to move through the field, showing you know, talent beyond his years in overtaking and in a course where he could have moved up and we saw Alba move up loads. I think that, um, you know, that was a bit of a missed opportunity and it'd have been, I, it's disappointing to not be able to see what he could have done. But again, he's one of the youngest in the field. I think he is the youngest in the field. So, you know, time will come and he'll be able to, to show that uh, in years to come. Nick? Oh, I, I just, I know I'm going to get in so much trouble for giving Max the bad thing awards, but I said nice things about him today, earlier in this very that episode. Doesn't, that doesn't matter. Does, 
I've seen out the window. I've seen YouTube comments that have called me an idiot for something that was then said later. So people are like live chatting as they're watching the YouTube video going, you're an idiot, even though we co- corrected that point, you know, after two minutes. So you are going to get abuse for that, Nick. And, and I support that. Give Nick as much abuse as you can. He's an accountant, for goodness sake. How important can he be? Right. Uh, what are we doing? Missed Apex Award. I've got one. Sorry, Americans. Haas. What's, what's going on with Haas? They're qualifying well. They're giving me hope. They always look good in Australia, but now they've disappeared. You two, answer. Why are American Haas rubbish, even though half their team are all Ferrari mechanics and they've basically stolen the Ferrari car? Well, haven't you just answered your own question by saying that? Ooh, harsh. We're going to get it in the net. Now you're going to get complaints. It's Matt Trumpets at MissedApex.com is the email for Matt. Do, uh, do send abuse his way. Yeah, no, first of all, if anybody knows exactly what's going on at Haas, you can reach out to us in the form of communication you prefer. We would love to hear from you. But if I'm looking at it from the outside, they have a car that is fast over one lap. They have a car that cannot go race distances. So that to me says one thing, my favorite thing, they're having issues getting the tire in the window and keeping the tire in the window. Grosjean drove an excellent race. I'm just going to fade you out, Matt. You've had your seven tire things for today. Uh, We have one award left, and that is... Comment of the week. Live chat room's been very busy, Matt. They're they're waiting for your race in 60 seconds. I'm going to make them wait till all the way to the end after the end credits. But for now, who's the nominees for comment of the week? We'll go with the slightly safer work. Heck, you know me, 666. Is that a Renault soundboard at the very beginning of our show when we were still sorting our tech a little bit? Look, that was funny. We invite you to watch this live recording. You are like the audience from Cheers. You know, it's not a polished project. You're here to laugh along and be supportive, not highlight our secret tech failures all the way through the show. So that can't win. Um, Disqualified. Okay, um, Aaron Salzbrenner, oh no, and what I can only assume is a tone of sheer horror, is this Missed Apex, the musical episode, due to my lovely song stylings at the beginning of the show? Yeah, no, that wasn't good. And Matt, I will remind you that Game of Thrones starts in four and a half hours, so we do need to get a move on. Uh, You'll be happy, you'll be happy to know that I've got it boiled down to only 12 or 15 more comments. Good. Uh... Stuart Arcari says, Ferrari just forgot it wasn't Kimmy driving. By the time they remembered it was Leclerc, it was too late. Ellen, you're our new friend. I'll give you the honor of picking comment of the week. Um, it has to be that last one. Everyone does uh, that. That is just proof that you weren't listening. And well, I said I said I would. I, I said I'd pick whichever one I honestly thought was best. And yeah, I'm going for the last one. Is that Stuart Arcari, Matt? Yes, indeed it is. And what's the comment? Ferrari just forgot it wasn't Kimmy driving. By the time they remembered it was a Leclerc, it was too late. Comment of the week. Thank you very much to our panel. Follow Ellen Ellard on Twitter for athletics and stuff and BBC type things. Follow Nick Alexander for full breakdowns of how to do accounting. Uh, watch his YouTube channel, which is just him scrolling numbers down a page and then adding them up, always remembering to carry the one. He also has a book podcast where most of the people have read the books. That podcast is called What's It All About? 
podcast. It's new. Go and show it support. Is that not what it's called? Almost. It's uh, what's it about podcast.com. I, um, I think I said that. Matt Trumpets has a wife and that wife sells mucky books that are not appropriate for children or this podcast, but he insists on pushing them on my clean family show. Got a new one up for pre-order? Love and the Laws of Motion. Another new one? Yes. She's a mucky book machine. Is a, ah. a, she is A Weaver Writes on Twitter. You can catch up with, with those and, uh, and buy them. Are they only aimed at women, are they, Matt? Or are they, could I no. buy it? I think I think most people could actually read her books and enjoy them. Yes. Okay. And try not to think about the fact that the male leads are inspired by Matt Trumpets. That is that is pretty gross. Hang around for race in sixty seconds, which is coming up after this. Baku is the next race. We will be catching up with virtual stat man Sean Kelly soon. He's gonna give us a stat-based quiz. But until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Lights out! Wheel spin, Botas. Hamilton by Hamilton P1. Botas slow, Vettel outside. Leclerc by Leclerc P3. Perez gets Kvyat. Brojan, Magnussen, Hulkenberg P8. Kvyat gets signs and Norris, but in a different way. Virtual safety car. Restart. Ferrari to Leclerc. Vettel might not be slower than you. Verstappen on Leclerc. Verstappen undercuts. Vettel pits. Leclerc hung out to dry. Verstappen on Vettel. Verstappen up the inside. Vettel cut back. Vettel wide. Vettel P3. Hulkenberg retires. Kells to Prees. Albin P10. Verstappen pits again. Vettel pits again. Mercedes double stack. Leclerc eventually pits again. Grosjean almost gets Albin. Raikkonen almost passes Perez. Checkers. Hamilton wins. Ricciardo P7. Wait, what? And that's your race in 60 seconds. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.